I'm J.P. Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Kiki, I've come to bargain. You stole my line, you bastard. <laughs> we are talking about Doctor Strange this week in honor of the new movie, Multiverse of Madness, which at the time of this recording, the movie isn't out yet. So if we get any guesses wrong, we're sorry. <laughs> yeah, you know what, though? Uh, if we get any guesses right, uh, go us. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, so, yeah uh, there will be no spoilers for Multiverse of Madness, even though this ep- this episode will release after Multiverse of Madness is in theaters. But we have not seen the movie yet. The movie is not out at the time of this recording, so there will be no spoilers for Multiverse of Madness in this episode. At least no intentional spoilers. If we get something right and we accidentally spoil it for you, uh, yay. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, Doctor Strange. This is Doctor Strange's first appearance in the MCU, but not the first mention. Because our first mention of Stephen Strange was all the way back in Captain America, The Winter Soldier. So his algorithm is a program! We're choosing insights targets. What targets? You... A TV anchor in Cairo, the undersecretary of defense, a high school valedictorian in Iowa City, Bruce Banner, Stephen Strange, anyone who's a threat to Hydra. It is rather interesting where this sits in the timeline, because Hydra is already kind of aware of him. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in in the plot, there is the the bit about just before the car crash, he is presented with the case of Rhodey. A lot of people say that. I don't think it's Rhodey. I think it's because you go back to Iron Man 2, there is a person in a hammer suit of armor, and the entire thing turns 90 degrees, breaking his back. I think it's that guy. Hmm. Huh. Um, most of the fandom, I think, is pretty convinced it's Rhodey. So this would... The movie would have come out after Captain America Civil War. Yeah. So, either or. So, Doctor Strange has been around since the 60s, very much like a lot of the other characters we've seen in the MCU so far, you know, Iron Man and all of them. But this was not the first attempt at a Doctor Strange movie. Way, way, way back in 1978 writing the success of the Incredible Hulk TV show with Bill Bixby and Blue Ferrigno, they attempted to try a Doctor Strange television series. A two-hour TV pilot was produced, uh, starring Peter Hooten as Doctor Strange and the late, great Jessica Walter as Morgan Le Fay. Do you believe in evil? You're telling me you're a sorcerer. John Mills is the power of good 
Jessica Walter is the power of evil, and mankind's fate hangs in the balance. Peter Hooten stars in Doctor Strange, tomorrow night at 8, 7 Central and Mountain Time. Not long ago, it was announced that this TV movie was getting a Blu-ray release. So if you ever wondered what the first Doctor Strange movie was, uh, it's worth at least a consideration. And there was another attempt at a Doctor Strange movie. Kiki, this is more your jurisdiction, so I'm going to leave this one up to you. Yeah, this is my favorite iteration of Doctor Strange. The Doctor Strange that is and isn't um so back in the early 90s one of my favorite film companies full moon entertainment known for making some of the most beautiful schlock on the planet uh had the rights to dr strange and they began production on a dr strange movie that would uh, be directed by uh, the father-son team of uh, Albert and Charles Band, and it would be starring my favorite actor of all time, Jeffrey Combs. Partway through the pre-production of this film, they lost the rights to Doctor Strange, and they decided, screw it, we're still going to make this movie. (laughs) It is called Dr. Mordred. In a Manhattan apartment, Dr. Anton Mordred has stood guard between our world and the dark dimensions. Cabal is a demon who uses mortals to do his bidding. What difference does it make if I want this dying planet? A sorcerer is not a god. Dr. Mordred, master of the unknown. This is Doctor Strange with the serial numbers filed off, hoping that nobody would sue them. It is Jeffrey Combs as the Sorcerer Supreme, basically defending Earth against Brian Thompson as his nemesis, Cabal, the evil wizard. This is a fever dream of a movie, and it is one of my favorite things. And... Uh, because of me begging on Twitter, Mystery Science Theater is doing this movie for season 13, and I could not be more proud of that accomplishment. It is the highlight of my life. <laughs> I want it on my tombstone that I am, I am the reason that Mystery Science Theater is ripping this movie. I cannot wait. Uh, If you're a Mystery Science Theater 3000 fan, they will be premiering that episode on uh, June 10th of this year. I will be there for the live stream uh, chatting away. So you will be able to find me, I'm sure. I am clearing my entire day for that. It will be the happiest moment of my life. They just released it on Blu-ray, and I haven't gotten the copy of that yet. Um, it apparently has a new audio commentary by Jeffrey Combs. If you ever want to see just the most bizarre version of the Doctor Strange that never was, it's like watching something from an alternate universe, and it is so beautiful. Dr. Mordred.
I highly recommend it. And people might get mad at us if we don't mention that he did get a name drop in Spider-Man 2. <laughs> guy named Otto Octavius winds up with eight limbs. What are the odds? Hoffman! Yeah. What are we going to call this guy? Uh, uh, Dr. Octopus. That's crap. Uh, uh, Science Squid? Crap. Doctor Strange. That's pretty good. But it's taken. And then brings us to this film. We've heard the rumors that when they first announced Multiverse of Madness, that they were really going to go for a horror movie vibe. That it was going to be Marvel's first horror movie, which is why they brought in Sam Raimi. But the director of this movie, Scott Dickerson, he knows his horror. I mean, the man directed The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Derrickson has the chops for it. Sinister is a really good horror film as well. You know, um, I preferred it to The Exorcism of Emily Rose, honestly. But, you know, like, like it, it, it feels like they had an idea of what they wanted the Doctor Strange movies to be. You don't really see much of it in here, and we'll go into it when we get into the plot proper. There's still a number of mind-screwing going on in this movie, especially some of the visual effects when we get to the multiverse stuff. I think that Derrickson was the proper choice for this first film because this is the transition. You have to take this, you know, as the origin story, you have to take Stephen Strange from I am the man of science, I am the neurosurgeon, to I am the Sorcerer Supreme by the end of the film. I mean, yeah, we'd had the Thor and the, you know, but even Thor says, I come from a place where science and magic are just two words for the exact same thing. So even Thor is saying like, yeah, okay, magic, but really we're just using science. We just have a different way of manipulating it. That had been the vibe of the MCU. Doctor Strange throws that out the window. Doctor Strange is just like, yeah, the Ancient One says you can call it a program for the universe if you want, but it's magic. So this is a big shift. And I like Derrickson as the director for this because if you had seen his previous work, he was really good at the mundane world is just going along and being mundane. And now it suddenly isn't. He had that horror vibe. He had that trippy vibe in some of his previous work. But so much of it was just everything is really mundane and now it's shifted slightly. And you needed that vibe for Doctor Strange. So I thought Derrickson did a really good job. Now, my personal feelings on Sam Raimi's work aside, he is the guy you bring in when you just need everything to go Looney Tunes. So if you want to do Multiverse of Madness and you want everything to go Looney Tunes, yeah, okay, because Sam Raimi's not the guy who can do subtlety. Once you've introduced the concept that everything is bonkers, yeah, okay, bring that guy in. But if you need to start in a grounded real world 
where everything is normal, Derrickson. So let's move on and talk about who's actually in this movie. So let's talk about our Doctor Strange, Bendy Star, Cabbage Patch. <sighs> I mean, I mean, Brandon File Humberbatch. I, I, I got this. Sorry, right. sorry. You, 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 you got a thing with names, bro. I know, I know. Benedict Cumberbatch was apparently really the only choice anybody had for Doctor Strange for this one. Unfortunately, he had a conflict and couldn't do the movie. Was he still filming Sherlock at the time? No, he was on stage doing a production of Hamlet when they needed to start filming. So they went looking for other people. I mean, he was down to do it, but, you know, I mean, the show must go on, right? So they went looking for other people, um, and they looked at, like, uh, Jared Leto, I hear. Um, (laughs) Yeah, let's let's never talk about the universe where that happened again. Um, They... uh, I I hear that uh, like Matthew McConaughey may have been up for the character. All right, all right, all right. Yeah, I don't know. Um, and uh, Ewan McGregor. I that might not have, have been hated cool. that. that. I might not cool. have hated that. But um, anyway, they went around and looked at other people, and they didn't feel right with any of them uh at least not to the level that they uh had felt when they were initially considering uh cumberbatch they uh basically were like is there any way we can delay this movie until uh his run uh with the play is done and so they pushed it back until his play was done and apparently he walked off stage in his final performance of that play and the next day walked on set and started playing Doctor Strange. If you want to know Benedict Cumberbatch is apparently like the one person they will delay a Marvel film for. (laughs) I, I, I watched this movie the first time I saw it, and it's like, Cumberbatch with an American accent just sounds wrong. All of the wrong? I That is that is my one beef. And, and not that I would have wanted a British Doctor Strange, because, you know, he does have to be the, the Doctor from New York, because it's the Marvel Universe, but... Oh my god, I've, it, I love the man, but... His American accent is just linguistically slightly off enough to grate on my ears. I don't know what the uncanny valley is for voices, <laughs> but it's that. I I love everything about the portrayal of the character, except the voice is just slightly off. Like, I just, I need the dialect coach to come in and just, just tweak ever so slightly. <laughs> Who do we want to talk about next? Uh, let's go down the line. Let's go to Mordo. Mordo. All right. 
Uh, Mordo is played by Chuatel Ejiofor, who I first came to see when he was in uh, Serenity, the Firefly movie. Is that probably where you first saw him? Uh, pro- I don't remember, probably. I don't remember ever seeing the Serenity movie in theaters, but it's been a while since they've seen the movie. <gasps> Wait! That wouldn't be where I would have first seen him. Because looking at his filmography, he had a part in Amistad. So I would have seen him first in Amistad and taken no notice of him because his, you know, it it wouldn't have stuck out to him. But he was also in Love Actually before he was in Serenity. So I would have seen him in that and just, but, you know, when a guy is just going to come in swinging a sword and, you know, F and S up, I guess. That's when you're going to start taking notice of a guy. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I would have seen him in stuff far predating that. So how about that? Yeah. <laughs> well, good for you. Uh, <laughs> you, you were so, yeah. But uh, I, t- I take that back. I was apparently watching him far before serenity and just didn't notice until he started stabbing people like a boss for the disney connection he did play scar in the remake of the lion king and he was also in maleficent mistress of evil yeah there there is so um you know once uh once disney gets you disney keeps you but uh, interestingly to me personally he's also now in the um TV series they're making based on the man who fell to earth. But uh yeah, it's uh I'll be interested to see that. But uh in in this like we said he's playing uh Mordo uh who originally starts out as a sort of mentor to Doctor Strange and if you know your comics history does not remain that. <laughs> I mean, he's more Calcilius in how Calcilius is portrayed in this movie than than the mortal of this movie is, and as far as the comics are concerned. But I guess they wanted to introduce him as a as an ally before turning him into an enemy. Yeah, you want to talk about Calcilius? Yeah, I'm, so, we brought him up. Let's get to Calcilius, our villain. Yeah. So our our major villain for this one uh, is played by Mads Mikkelsen because if you need a villain why not go for Mads Mikkelsen we already had one Hannibal Lecter in the MCU why not have another Digesting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> eventually we're going to have every Hannibal Lecter in the MCU <laughs> he you know he's He's been in a lot of stuff. I mean, for another Disney connection, he's also Galen or so in Rogue One. Got the uh, Bond connection playing uh, Le Chief in Casino Royale. Uh, that's not a Disney connection. That's owned by Amazon now. But uh, he is also Grindelwald. 
Yeah, the the current um, Actor and for... probably final, <laughs> the way that's been going. Yeah. The interesting thing is, is that he will uh, be returning to a uh, Disney-owned property as he has been cast in the uh, Indiana Jones film that uh, has no title yet. If he's not playing a villain, they missed a trick. <laughs> I, I love his uh, portrayal in this, uh, although I do, I do think they kind of un- underuse him a bit. He reminds me a bit of Malachi from Dark World in that there's a lot of potential for the villain. It just never gets there. Yeah, I, I and I think, unfortunately, Caecilius runs afoul of... They needed to introduce so much else because of the origin story aspect. And like I said, a lot of what had goes through with what, what goes through Calcilius in this movie really is synonymous more with Mordo of serving Dormammu. The ancient one has done all these terrible things and I must go against them and blah, blah, blah. That kind of comes up at the end, but that's Mordo's story at the beginning. Everything that Castilius is kind of comes from Mordo. So let's go to uh, our our love interest for this movie, Rachel McAdams as Christine Palmer, a.k.a. Night Nurse, our second Night Nurse, because I'm pretty sure Rosario Dawson is already playing Claire Temple in, in the Netflix shows at this point, and they're both characters in the comics who are known as the Night Nurse. Rachel Mc, Rachel McAdams. Uh, interestingly, from a different Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So she she gets pulled out of the the Downey the uh, Sherlock Holmes uh, and dropped into this. She was uh, mostly kind of known for the romantic comedy romantic drama part of Hollywood I guess she was in the notebook yeah you know she's in a bunch of movies I haven't seen because that's not my vibe (laughs) yeah (laughs) for for me personally um I mean, I I hate to say it, but it's just like her her career and and the sort of things I personally enjoy watching kind of never meshed um, until she ended up in the MCU, um, ex- with the exception of the Downey Sherlock Holmes films, and she was in one of the kind of lesser known Wes Craven films. So, you know, n- nothing against her personally. It's just, you know, her her film choices and my watching not not really a mixy things. She plays uh Christine pretty pretty well. Again, the romance angle between Stephen and Christine, another thing that kind of gets shoved to the side in service of the origin story. Yeah, they, by the time the movie picks up, they've already broken up. Yeah. But there's still something there. 
And I think kind of the last person that's in this film that we've not really talked about and might need to would be uh, Tilda Swinton as the Ancient One. Uh, oh boy, there's a whole thing to talk about the changes to this character. Tilda Swinton, great actress, phenomenal actress, but the character has, um, yeah. Well, let's talk about Tilda Swinton just a little bit. Love her. A lot of people might know her, at, at least kind of, you know, our age and our vibe. Probably think of her as the the White Witch in the Chronicles of Narnia films that got made. Another uh, Disney movie. But she's kind of known for doing the more artsy kind of things, I think. Um, she is currently uh set to play the fairy in del toro's pinocchio yeah that's that's gonna be interesting i like that team up there because you know you know me i love a del toro film and of course she did things like uh the dead don't die she had a great bit in snowpiercer the the film not the series she did uh, Only Lovers Left Alive with uh, Tom Hiddleston um, and Anton Yelchin. Great film. She's not really the kind of big blockbuster kind of thing. But, you know, let's let's talk for just a second, because you did bring it up, about her casting as the Ancient One. The one of the big ones was in the comic books, the Ancient One was a man. And in the film, Tilda Swinton is a woman, although they have her kind of androgynous in the way the ancient one is portrayed, but it's still addressed as a woman. Got the bald head and everything. That that was apparently Tilda's choice to to do kind of the, the bald head and the androgynous outfit. And then there's the um the other change is that the Ancient One was on the safe side, I'll say Tibetan. Tibetan, yes. Yeah. And Disney and Marvel really wanted this movie to play in China. So that kind of had to get changed. Well, there's a few things. Um, and they have spoken at length uh, about it. The, the screenwriters, the producers... Tilda herself. I mean, this this has been gone over for years. I'm not um, blaming Tilda. She's just an actor doing a job. I'm not going to blame her for that. Well, she has she has taken some responsibility, and there there is some responsibility to be taken as an actor. Okay, I'm, accepting I'm, a role, fine, yeah. In, in accepting a role, but there there are a few considerations to be had here, and. One of the writers, he basically said that writing the Ancient One had no winnable solution. And he may be right. Because, as written in the comics, now remember this is the 60s, and written by white men, it was a character based in, let's say, less enlightened and less aware and less sensitive portrayals of Asians, Tibetans specifically, and 
Eastern religious ideas. Okay. So you've got all of these stereotypes playing in of the, you know, wise old Asian, the uh, various religious ideals, uh, various mystical ideals, and so forth. You also have the political situation between China and Tibet, as you've already said. They did consider just turning it into a woman, but an Asian woman. Unfortunately, they thought that if you do that, then you get into the fetishization of Asian women. Okay, well, maybe then we make her into an older Asian woman and try to get around that, you know, hot young Asian woman fetish stereotype. And if you do that, then do you make her the stern, older dragon lady stereotype, which is its own can of worms? Well, maybe then we don't make him make the character Asian at all, which is what they went with. And so we turn it into a Celtic, which is what they they go with there. You know, Tilda Swinton is a very pale white woman. So let's make the character Celtic and go on Celtic mystic traditions. Which is fine considering the that it, the ancient one is supposed to be ancient. I can yeah. buy that, but still. And yeah. then you run afoul of, well, now you're whitewashing an Asian character, which is a fair cop, but also an unwinnable situation. You know, you don't want to stereotype an Asian, but you don't want to whitewash an Asian, but you don't want to. I can see how everything in this situation seems unwinnable. Is there a way that this could have been handled more delicately or better? Probably. And everyone in this situation, including Tilda herself, has since said, yeah, probably, and we kind of wished that we had not done it this way. Even Feige has said that, and that says yeah. a lot. Basically, everyone on this has, has backtracked since then and said, there was a better way to do this. We probably should have just gone to the Asian community and said, how would you like us to do this? But they didn't. And yeah. that was their problem. And everyone has since kind of apologized. The one thing I am going to bring up moving on is that uh, there is another character in here and it's already been, it's being played by somebody we've already talked about. We got Dormammu. Yes, the big bad at the end of the movie, played by Cumberbatch. And I'm going to say, I get why they went with it. They wanted Dormammu to be like a reflection of strange himself or something i don't originally they had tony todd they got tony todd to record dormammu's lines there is a universe out there where we had tony todd playing dormammu 
And instead, they re-recorded it over with Benedict doing his Smaug voice. We could have had Tony Todd as Dormammu. There was Candyman Dormammu out there, and we were denied that, and I am angry. And last but not least, Benedict Wong as Wong. We talked about him when we talked about Ryan the Last Dragon. So let's get into it. Let's let's talk about our, our Doctor Strange. His skill as a surgeon, unmatched, and it has made him very, very conceited. But he's got great taste in music. Uh, yeah, his his taste in music is awesome. The thing is, like we we see that he has invented procedures, even because yeah. he has a conversation with Christine about naming techniques after himself and everything, um, and the fact that they don't want to call it the strange technique, which I love. It is. An interesting thing, and I will I will point it out that we see him saving lives. We see how good he is that he's able to do these surgeries, you know, without waiting for the image guidance and all that. It's a good opening to show us in shorthand how skilled he is. But and, he's also an ale. <laughs> yeah, but it's. It's the Lebowski thing. It's like, well, you're you're not wrong, but you are an ass about it. He does the procedure. He removes the bullet from the from the patient's brain, but he's not happy about it. And know? he and, doesn't want to be in the ER because he considers these people beneath him. He's a high-profile neurosurgeon. He wants high-profile patients. I think few things hit me in the way that when we get that moment in his apartment. We see him first in the operating theater, in the ER, and he's just, he's in scrubs, you know? He looks like everybody else. Like any other doctor. And then we see him in his apartment. The watches, the... the... Oh, that watch case. I want to take a sledgehammer to that watch case. You have no idea how much that angers me just on a visceral level. Every one of those watches costs more than my entire life, first off. Yeah. You know, you you know that you could buy and sell everything I have for one of those watches. And then how many of them does he have? Which, first of all, you got two arms, my dude, at most. You only ever wear one watch at a time. How many of those watches do you have? He wants to accessorize. They all look, like, basically identical. And you put them in a dumbass spinny watch case with fancy lighting. How much did that cost? And you know you don't have friends, so it's not like you're showing off for anybody but yourself. You know, he's just there, like, opening that drawer, like, mm, look at my spinny watches. And then his, like, friggin' apartment in New York, in New York, overlooking Central Park or wherever the hell he is. Like, that's a hell of a view he's got. That ain't cheap. <laughs> yeah. 
So how much is that costing, first of all? And I'm just thinking, like, this is why people in America die of medical debt, my dude. You know? Like, that watch case alone is already having me plan murder on this dude. I do not care how good a neurosurgeon you are. I am already planning your murder. And then, like, it widens. And there's, like, the suit and the apartment view. and And I'm just like, please tell me you are a trust fund kid. Which would be bad enough. But at least it's not, you know? Yeah. At least it's not you fleecing your patients for this stuff. And then he gets in the Lamborghini and I'm like, I'm glad I already know that something horrible is about to happen to this man. Because I do not have to jump through the screen and do violence to this dude. <laughs> and yeah, he's the, he's a very reckless driver. He's speeding throughout the whole thing. He's zooming in and out of traffic. Um, keep your eyes on the road at all times, kids. Because he yeah, takes don't be the- looking at MRIs in your car when you're driving. Weirdo. In the rain. Keep in mind that this is also in the rain. Yeah. So he's so he's speeding. Texting while driving, zooming in and out of traffic, in the rain. This was never going to end up well for him. It's a pretty spectacular car crash. That is is a really good uh, sequence. And bravo to the entire stunt team and effects team for that. It it is a a really excellent um, scene from a technical standpoint. Um, And they do a good job of making you feel that moment in the impact when the injury occurs. And it's a really traumatizing moment of the the waking up in the hospital and seeing his hands in traction with all the pins in them and stuff. So bravo to the makeup team. (laughs) And bravo to the makeup team throughout the movie because they continue to, you know, have to put the the scars, the on scar his prosthetics on his hands and stuff. And they look incredible. And you really see the, you know, the this this desperate man, this man that was on top of the world, this world class surgeon. This man, this man works with his hands. Those are his tools. And when you take away his hands his tools what do you have you know and he is so desperate to get back to the life he once had going going through experimental procedures and spending every dime he has to the point where every luxury item that we saw in that opening scene is gone man barely even has a bed to sleep in because he had sold every little bit that he has to have every single procedure known and unknown risky or not just to get his hands back and nothing works. Yeah. He's even talking about, but the, the other, the other part of this is I think the cruelest moment that we get 
the one person that is there for him through all this is Christine. And like you said, they're broken up by the this point. She obviously still cares for him. She's been the only one that's been there. Like, there's no flowers. There's no condolence cards. We don't see any other sign that anyone gives a crap about him. When she tries to tell him, your ability to actually be in the surgical theater, you know, losing that does not mean losing your entire life. Uh, There are still things left for you. And his response is what, like you? There was an audible, oh, in my theater when we saw this. Oh, yeah. That was such a vicious line that the entire theater just recoiled. You could feel that as a visceral moment. Like, even if Strange did not have love, was not in love with Christine anymore, you you are literally pushing away the only person in the world that cares about you. His first thought is, so what? You're my consolation prize? Her first reaction is so magnanimous to him because her first reaction is, this is the part where you apologize. Her reaction is, I realize that you are in pain. You are going through some stuff here. But he's so self-absorbed in his own pain, his own misery, that he just pushes away the only person that cares about him. That's it. I mean, he's got literally nothing left at that point. It's just him and an empty apartment. So he he goes and he finds Pangborn and Pangborn is like, oh, yeah, I do recognize your name. You're the jerk doctor who refused to even see me. Great cameo by Benjamin Bratt. Yeah, Benjamin Bratt does a, a good job in his, you know, tiny little bit. And then he's like, go look for a place called Camertage. Have fun finding it. Bye. Off to Kamandu we go. It's interesting that he tries to protect the watch. The one thing that he has left. Of his old life, yeah. Of his of his life in the before times. And he tries to sucker punch the guy. But of course, his hand. You know, not really that functional. And so he hurts himself instead. And then they just absolutely kick the crap out of him. And I like that Mordo just stands there and watches for a little bit before jumping in and out. Like, I'm going to let him get a little beat down before. I I like in the, you know, right before we meet the ancient one where Mordo sees himself in strange. Like I was, I was like you when I first got here, I was disrespectful. I was a non-believer. My best advice to you is forget everything you think you know about the world. But this this is the moment where we get our transition from we have been in one world and now we're going into another. The Ancient One tries to start easily with, you know... She pulls out science books because yeah. she knows... She, she, it's like she already knows who he is. And as we find out in, other, in the later movies, she does know who, she, who he is because she's seen the future already. Yeah, she she knew he was coming. So he, you know, so he start she starts 
where he would know with science books. Which, from a teaching standpoint, is the best way to go. Like, what's your frame of reference? Okay, let's start there and move on. You know you, how dude. strong you you know how strong you have to be to punch the soul out of somebody. <laughs> Boy, don't mouth off to me. I will punch the soul right out of you. My favorite bit is that you know she offers him tea. What's what was- in the tea? Just tea with a bit of honey. I always wanted the follow up question to be, okay, what's in the honey? <laughs> she essentially gives him the crash course on the multiverse. Disney in their infinite wisdom, has put up the IMAX versions of the Marvel movies on their service. If you are watching the IMAX version of this movie, the whole mind trip scene is beautiful. That, that scene in particular, when she sends him into that trip. This is an acid trip. Yeah, but it's also based on a lot of the original Ditko artwork. Oh, yeah. And so, if you want to know what early Doctor Strange looked like, bam, right there. And this is where we get our first mention of the multiverse yeah. in in the MCU. Now, where... interestingly, uh, I think we mentioned it. I can't remember exactly if we mentioned it, but when we were doing our Loki Season 1 retrospective, there is that bit where we take the trip through the multiverse in the opening of the one episode. Mm -hmm. People have lined that bit up with bits from Strange's first trip through the multiverse in this film. And there are some very interesting parallels. There's even some similar effects that we would later see in um, the quantum realm. The thing is, is that the Ancient One shows him all of this, you know, that the astral plane, the mirror dimensions, the the multiverse. You know, he's like, oh, oh, my God, train me, show me, you have to do this. And she's like, no, no, bye. And they just toss him out. Our first lesson's free. <laughs> Yeah, the first hit's free, but no more. He, it absolutely breaks the poor man. Like, you know, you thought he'd hit rock bottom before, and he just discovered there's a layer below that. Ancient One puts her thumb on what would be considered the mind's eye, and literally opens up his mind's eye, the third eye. And, like, at that point, for Strange, there's no going back to that. He needs to know more he suddenly realizes that Pangborn's solution is correct. Pangborn said, I came to this place and they gave me an answer. He comes to this place and there's like, oh, there are things you don't know. And he's like, yeah, right. Like what? And they're like, like this. And they flip on a light bulb for just a second. And he sees an entirely new landscape. And then they switch it off and they're like, bye now. And he's like, no, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. You cannot do that to me. You can't show me this new world and then take it away from me. Yeah. Um, this is related to the Lovecraftian concept of 
cosmic horror. It's the moment where you see something so much larger than yourself that it drives you to madness. Except in Strange's case, he sees something larger than himself and it drives him to despair. Because he knows that there is an answer out there. It is the answer he has been looking for. And it is being denied him. And he has nowhere else to go now. He even says, I spent my last dollar getting here. One-way ticket. There is nowhere for him to go. It's probably why he ends up living in the Sanctum Sanctorum. That swank apartment. (laughs) He probably sold that. (laughs) <laughs> my my favorite little bit of of acting in this film is right at the moment where he is crying on the stoop outside Camertage. He has no idea where he's going to go and he's like holding his pathetic little duffel bag crying and he's beating his head against the door like I don't know what I'm going to do. I have nowhere else to go. And the door opens and he falls backwards into the door. And he disappears from the shot. And all you hear is the most pathetic, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. It's just the most pathetic sound you have ever heard in your entire life. I don't know if that was like... ADR they added later or what but that is possibly the best moment of Benedict Cumberbatch's career but we see uh Mordo and the H1 as strange is out there saying that you know he's persistent he's strong-willed that he reminds him of Calcilius. Ancient One is hesitant to train him because she's afraid he will turn out like that we know from the later movies that the Ancient One already knows that Doctor Strange is meant to be the next Sorcerer Supreme. At this point, we don't know that. So it's intended that Mordo kind of convinces the Ancient One to do it. But now knowing backwards from, from Endgame, you know, who is she playing against here? Well, the thing is, is that she had to bring him to that point. If at that point he was like, teach me, and she's like, you got it, champ. He's not the person he needs to be to be receptive. Mm. He has to have that, like, several hours of desperation of, what do I do if this doesn't work out? I spent my last dollar getting here. I told Christine to go away i have no friends do i even have a family who knows it's the marvel universe they're probably already dead like they probably all died in the battle of new york like who knows we have no idea like he is as as far as we know at this point he is a man alone with a duffel bag and a change of clothes and a broken watch like He has to get to that moment of that, like, thank you. Like, you know, once he realizes how much he wants this and how much he will put up with to stay there, then he's the guy that can become the Sorcerer Supreme. 
that's how delicate the timeline is at that point. So I think she's doing the exact right thing and being like, nope, get out. Five hours from now, you're the guy I need. Right now, you're not. The thing is, is that I love the montage. It's it's not really a montage in the traditional sense, but we do kind of get the fast-forward version of his training. And I do but, like that during this montage, we get the significance of the watch because Christine gave it to him. Yeah. And it was also the one he's wearing in the crash. I mean, you know, what? why do you think it's cracked? He put it on yeah. because he's he's going to this event. Christine's going to be there, you know? Mm-hmm. He, he wants Christine to see the watch she gave him, you know? The thing is that he is, once again, still too caught up in his hands. You know, we see them doing, you know, these forms. The sling practice, first, yeah. At first, well, you know, we see them doing various things, and then they get the sling ring. But every time we see them doing it, you know, they're martial arts forms, but then magic and strange has the forms down he can do the moves but every time he has to move his hands to do the spells nothing happens all the other students are getting it strange cannot and his hands are shaking and even when he puts on the sling ring everybody else is getting it strange is not and we get that moment of ancient one coming out to kind of give him the pep talk and he's like well how am i supposed to do all these complicated forms when my hands are like this and she's like really it's your hands and he's like of course it's my hands you're asking me to do things with my hands and she's like hey master no hand come out here and uh show this guy what's what and he comes out there and he just starts doing all the things and it's perfect because it's your mind that creates the magic yeah we get ancient one taking him to uh mount everest and leaving him there saying hey uh get the spell right or die and i love mordo is back waiting in the courtyard like oh not again (laughs) i like that time too it's like this is not the first time the Ancient One has put a student on Mount Everest and left them there. I wouldn't be surprised if Mordo was one of those students. But the thing is, like, is Everest just littered with the corpses of, like, sorcery students? It's like... <laughs> is there just, like, a whole weird sorcerer's graveyard up on Everest that we don't know about? Probably. And I've got to say that I respect what an absolute nerd Stephen Strange is. Like, everybody wants to talk about what a nerd Peter Parker is. And that, like, underneath his cool veneer, Tony Stark is really just a nerd hiding underneath a frat boy. And, you know, no, no, no. I think Stephen Strange has them all beat for nerdery. Dude learns magic, right? And what does he do? 
I'm going to learn magic to read while I'm asleep. I mean, we've seen Wanda reading while making tea in an astral form. Which, also, mad respect for that. But, like, if you're the type of person who reads a lot, you know the absolute annoyance of, I'm very tired and I want to go to bed, but also one more chapter. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I do like how they set this up, is that Ancient One says... To Stephen, how did you learn to be a doctor? I studied. That's how you become a sorcerer. You study. There you go, champ. Got it in one. He learns how to use the sling ring and uses it to get extra books from the library. Nerd! Where we meet Wong. The Wong we meet at the beginning of this movie and the Wong we know now are two completely different characters. They are not. It's just that the Wong that we see through Steven's eyes is not the Wong he shows to everybody else. Like He's, he's very like, stern. He's very serious. He says, if you steal a book out of my library, you'll be dead before you reach the door. Well, he's teacher Wong. Like, you ever see one of your teachers in class, and then you get a little older, and you run into one of your teachers at the bar, and you're like, wait, wait a minute. (laughs) This is not the same person. I'm off the clock. I don't have to be that way anymore. Yeah, exactly. It's like, that. that's it. Like, we meet Teacher Wong in this, this thing. And, like, by the time... Steven is like Doctor Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts, Sorcerer Supreme. We're meeting like off the clock Wong, who's his buddy. There are there are books in the library that are forbidden. Like that that must be forbidden knowledge. Because Wong says, like, those are the Sorcerer Supreme's personal, you know, collection. That's the ancient one's personal collection. And Wong says, no. No knowledge is forbidden here, just certain practices. But that stuff is too advanced for you to understand yet. You haven't gotten the basics down. Like they say, he shouldn't even know how to read those books. He shouldn't. The spells he's doing, he should not be able to do because he's not at the at that level. Even yeah. though he's doing forbidden spells like time manipulation. I like the vibe that they're going with, which is knowing things is not dangerous. They're not going on a vibe of censorship. Like, we're not we're not going to keep this locked up. Um, You know, yeah, the books are in chains and stuff and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it makes it seem like that. And that is what Strange initially expects. But they're like, no, no, the knowledge is free, but doing the action is dangerous because we know what will happen. I love that that is their approach to it. We don't care if you study uh, and read about time magic, but do not mess with the flow of time because we know what that will do to people. And it also, as they mentioned, it it weakens their dimension by messing with time. Yeah. 
that is reiterated in Endgame. Messing with time is not a good thing. And it's also interesting how much they set up the TVA in this movie. And they hadn't even planned the the Loki series at this point, as far as we know. They technically did not have the rights to Mobius yet because uh, Fox still owned the Fantastic Four. And that is a Fantastic Four character. Yeah. So, but they set it up so beautifully here that it looks like that it was like it, when they were already writing Doctor Strange, they were planning that. It's all they connected. <laughs> yeah, uh, they weren't, but it it works yeah. so beautifully. Um, but, the, but the point is, they stress the Strange. We do not break natural law. We protect yeah. it, and time magic tampers with natural law. But as he's looking through these books and he's looking through, you know, he sees the pages that were ripped out in the first scene of the movie where we're introduced to Caecilius and he does the greatest bit of magic in the film, which is that he decapitates a man and there is no blood. There's not a drop of blood in this that is a PG movie. Scene. This is a PG movie. You can have all of the violence you want as long as there's no blood. Through this whole uh, bit, as he's learning, you know, he sees the pages that are ripped out. He learns the story of Caecilius just a little bit and that he stole the pages. And as he's, you know, wandering around the library, he sees the eye of Agamotto. The time stone. We're finally getting back on this infinity stone thing. Well, we don't know that yet, but... He sees the eye of Agamotto there. We've already been given the idea of relics from Mordo in a previous scene that he's got the jumping boots of jumpingness. Strange is immediately like, hey, I like things and stuff. Give me, you know, bling. All I got's a broken watch. And he's I like, like how I like how Mordo says, you don't choose the relic. The relic chooses you. Yeah. It's like, uh, one day something's going to choose you and you're not. And instead, uh, Strange is just wandering through the library and is like, hey, <laughs> bling. <shiny> bling necklace. <laughs> I like. As as uh, I was said, he's not at the level that he should be able to use the Eye of Agamotto. Could the Eye of Agamotto, could the Time Stone had chosen Doctor Strange at that moment to be its wielder? I I think that's that's probably what we're what we're led to believe because it kind of opens up when we see it. The interesting thing is we've never seen the actual eye. We've only seen the stone. We've only seen the stone. Um, now that the stone is gone, I wonder if the eye will make an appearance in the next movie. Maybe I was hoping it would show up in, in Spider-Man, but I guess not. I mean, you know, we we got a guy directing the next movie who's really into gore and body parts, so having a necklace with an eyeball in it is uh not out of the realm of possibility for him if if Marvel will let him do it. Yeah, so yeah, Mordo and, and Wong give Strange the crash course on Dormammu that he is from the dark dimension and he wants to absorb all other realities into his own and. We get it later from from Calcilius that, you know, 
the many become the few become the one and they will all become one with Dormammu and live forever. Yeah, resistance is futile. You will all be eaten by Galactus, the Dormammu slayer. I, you know, can we get a Marvel villain that's not just like, hi, I'm here to, to eat or rule your planet? Yeah. I mean, Marvel has some really interesting villains out there, but for some reason the MCU has only dealt with the ones that want to eat and or rule your planet. You know, I, I can't really say anything any about that because we already know Kang is coming. We already know there's a Fantastic Four movie coming and probably Galactus is in that too. You know, that Fantastic Four movie just lost another director, so The Spider Man director, yeah. Yeah, so I'm I'm not really sure we're getting that Fantastic Four movie anytime soon. Not the first time a Marvel movie has lost a director. Yeah. I don't know. You know what? I'll direct that Fantastic Four movie. Give me a call there. But, you know, Dormammu wants to eat the world. So, okay. We're back to that again. Yeah, the uh, the, the other sanctums, they, they tell us what about the other sanctums. Hong Kong, London, New York. And they're under attack by Cassilius and his people trying to... London is Sir Not appearing in this movie. Cause yeah, they already got it. <laughs> y- yeah. I, I don't know why I I would like to see the London Sanctum, but whatever. That is destroyed off screen because screw them, I guess. Um, but Strange ends up in the New York Sanctum and uh, we get to wander through the New York Sanctum. And which... we, get, we get the greatest sidekick in, in the MCU, the Cloak of Levitation. Mr. Doctor, it's Strange. <laughs> yeah, we get more jokes about Strange's name. At this point, there are more jokes about Stephen Strange's name than there are about Benedict Cumberbatch's name. I don't know why this is a thing, but it makes me laugh. And um, if everyone can make fun of their name, so can I. Yeah. There's the big battle, and he uh, Strange gets stabbed, and we end up getting back to Christine at the hospital. And I love how her first thought is, you've joined a cult. Which, in fairness, he has joined a cult and should probably call his dad. I like that he kind of concedes that, yeah, he probably has joined a cult. <laughs> I'm late for a cult meeting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I do like the astral plane battle. It's done very well. He he notices he gets the power boost when he gets, when he's... His body is getting the defibrillator. Like, hit me again. More juice. I like that the person who comes out best in this fight is like Nick, the annoying other surgeon who gets extra chips from the, the, the vending, vending machine. machine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but between the cloak of levitation being badass back in the sanctum and uh, strange figuring out the the uh, defibrillator trick. Uh, they fry this dude's soul, and he's dead. Yeah, yeah. But I like the cinematography of it, because you get, like, they clearly had to film the hospital scene first, I assume. And then they had to film uh, Cumberbatch and the other actor, like, on the green screen and kind of match up the shots. 
Yeah, it it was a really complicated bit of putting all of that together. Because um, you do have to match up kind of when the props move at some, at certain points and everything. I mean, good job. Watching the behind-the-scenes footage of some of this stuff is probably the biggest mind trip of this film. Like, if you want to go, holy crap, we do not give actors in the MCU enough credit. Like, you want to talk about when they hand out little gold statues. It's always for, like, you stood in a field and cried. What a great actor you are. Here's a gold statue for that. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, okay, that's that's impressive. But, like, you know, I do that on a regular basis. <laughs> like... <laughs> oh look a tree let me burst into tears like that's like you know every other weekend but then look at some of the behind the scenes footage for like the mcu and it's like here stand on this foot and a half treadmill attached to wires surrounded by green sheets and scream at nothing and yeah we got and we're gonna fill you film you from every angle imaginable yeah, well, like, six cameras are pointed at you. And then it's like, and then just trust that two and a half years from now, something impressive will be there. Looking at, like, all the footage of, like, the mirror dimensions and, like, all that astral plane fight scenes and stuff like that, if you look at the raw footage of that stuff, just the behind the scenes stuff, that is all that is. It looks amazing. And you're like, this person is the greatest actor in the history of his generation. And I'm like, why is that not worthy of a little gold statue? <laughs> like, really? Because <laughs> that's the most impressive thing I've ever seen. Kind of going forward into the uh, the mirror dimension scenes. When I first saw this, and when a lot of people first saw this, they instantly thought of Inception. Yeah, because a, a lot of that stuff was kind of pioneered in Inception. The Christopher Nolan and the team that that they put together really did figure out a lot of that CGI. Our Stan Lee cameo on the subway. I love that he finds uh, the uh, Doors of Perception that hilarious. He is just laughing his head off. Yeah, yeah. And it all leads to the truth of the Ancient One being revealed, that she essentially is using Dormammu's power to extend her life, which kind of breaks Mordo. Uh, Ancient One mentions... Uh, I don't know if it's here or later on, uh, mentions Pangborn, how, you know, Pangborn learned enough magical power to heal his body, but when given the responsibilities to be a master of, of the mystic arts, he walked away, going back to his old life. And for a moment, Strange considers this. 
to learn enough magical ability to heal his hands and go back to his old life or p- take up the fight. Pangborn is like the opposite of Strange. Strange is very much driven by whatever I do, I want to be the best at it. And Pangborn was like, nope, I came here for a reason. I wanted to find my healing solution. I did. I will go back to a quiet life. I will play basketball with my friends. Yeah, he even says it, you know, you know, like they they wanted to teach me more and expand my mind even further. But uh, I was satisfied with my miracle and I went back home. I kind of respect that. Like, he he is content in a way that Strange could never be. It's also what, what makes him such an excellent Sorcerer Supreme. The Ancient One points out that Mordo and Strange are also opposites in certain fundamental ways. And... They're exactly alike in other fundamental ways, you know. Mordo is very rigid. He's very by the book. It's rules. He's always playing by the rules. You know, he's playing by the rules. He's he he wants structure. He needs structure. And uh, Ancient One says it's because of his upbringing that he needs rules and structure to function. But Strange is very fluid. He works outside the rules. We even seen him earlier again. He literally breaks the rules with time magic. And Ancient One says that, you know, because of that, that, that oppositeness between the two of them, they kind of need each other for that. Strange understands which rules must be adhered to and which rules are flexible. And in which situations. Mordo is very much. A rule was. Written. Therefore it must be obeyed. Without necessarily questioning. Strange will very much. Question the rules. Is this a rule that is. Necessarily needed or. You know, and that's why when Mordo says the Ancient One was drawing power from the Dark Dimension and Strange counters with she was doing what she thought was right. Mordo's idea is this is the rule and Strange's idea is this is the ethic. Which is the fundamental difference. It's it's the difference between the internal system of morals and the external system of morals. Mordo's is an external system. It's imposed. Someone has given me a rule. I will follow it. Because otherwise there will be punishment. And Strange's system is look at a situation and I will assess how much damage this will cause, who it will damage, 
you know. And that comes from him being a doctor. Yeah. Because the it's, same. It's the, the same, do no harm. Which he well, actually does complain about earlier. You know, he 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 had to he literally killed a man, and he's being asked by the angel one to take up arms and do it again. Yeah. But the but, point is, as as a doctor, the same solution isn't always going to work for every situation. So you have to find a way to to adapt to any situation and make the solution work that way. With Mordo, is every situation is the same, same, and every solution is the same. Yeah, and and the 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 point of the the ancient one is yes, you had to take a life. The alternative to that was more lives being lost. It, and it's it's the same thing with the with the the doctor. It's like, well, you may have to remove a diseased organ. Well, technically, that's doing harm to a patient. That that organ may be necessary, or the surgery may carry risks. But the alternative is leaving the organ in that could cause further problems that could lead to death. You know, mm. so it's it's one of those things of, yes, you can see that as doing harm by a rigid rule. If the rule says, you know, do not pick up a knife and cut someone. Well, that's no, but you have to do that for surgery. Mm-hmm. So there's your flexibility. You are doing something that's against a rule to do a greater good, you know. The greater good, but the um. So it's 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 the bit of of flexibility in their morality, and I love that that contrast between Mordo and Strange. But you know, we have that that fight in the mirror dimension. We have that bit where Strange thinks he's being clever. He knows a little bit. Uh, we see it at first with the. The when he first tries to cast the, the time spell, and then he finds out that the the warning he hadn't read the warning yet. He just started casting the spell. He didn't read all the way through, and they stop him before he can. He does the same thing with the mirror dimension. He knows a little bit about the mirror dimension because of what the ancient one said. Sometimes we use it to trap threats because they cannot. Uh, affect things with the mirror dimension but he doesn't know enough about the mirror dimension to understand that it is more connected to the dark dimension so that Caecilius and his followers have a little bit more power there than he does they're able to influence it a little bit more he didn't trap them there he took them to a place where they have a little bit more power Oops, he wasn't being clever. He played into their hands because and, he didn't know enough about it. And it leads to the death of the Ancient One. Yeah. But she knew that. She saw that coming. She was prepared for it, even though she wasn't, you know. And I love the scene of the two of them on the balcony watching the the storm in slow motion. Again, you know, she's even said it. She's... She's used 
her magic, a.k.a. the Time Stone, to prevent negative future events. But no matter how many bad events she's prevented, there's always another one and another one and another one. And and they, it, it all leads to her death. That one moment, she even says it right there. This is, I see nothing past this point, which means this is my death. So she tried, you know, she even says, you know, here I am at de- at death's door and I'm trying to stretch one second into a lifetime because I'm not ready yet. Even trapped in that moment, even if it's just to watch the snow yeah. and stand on the balcony with him. I like that she asks if he wants to know his future and he immediately says no. And then he kind of admits that, well, yeah, a little. He is curious. He always wants that knowledge. But he knows that it's probably not good for him. Uh, Don't worry. He'll know 14 million possible futures (laughs) in a bit. She gives him the greatest advice that he can, which is it's not about you. I wish more people will understand that. Yeah, you you are here in in service of a greater cause. You are here to do good. Draw parallels to to Sherlock. There is that that line that is said about Sherlock in BBC, which is that Lestrade says that he thinks Sherlock is a great man, and he hopes that one day, if they're lucky, he can be a good man. And I think that the same thing can be said It's of Strange at the beginning of his journey. He is already a great man. He is a great neurosurgeon. We just have to get him to the point where he can be a good man. He's he's on the, the same Tony Stark journey. You yeah. know, he's great. He can do great things, but he has to be that guy willing to make the sacrifice play, you know? And by the end of the movie, he's he's there, you know, he's he sees the death of the Sorcerer Supreme and he knows what he has to do. So he gathers the troops and he goes to defend the Hong Kong sanctuary, but he's too late. But time stone, we get a mulligan. Yeah, we can reverse it. We can reset it. And. We almost make it. I love how the, this entire backwards battle happens. The the, the part where where uh, the one one follower, one Cassilius follower, ends up getting trapped in the fish tank because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time while time was going backwards. This whole thing, the entire this entire battle, this you know backwards through time battle is beautifully shot. I gotta say that it it, it looks good. Yeah, um, they built a massive set for this, uh, so that they could do all this. I mean, it's one of one of their larger sets they they built. The way this was filmed was great, and I love them doing things like pulling Wong out of the time stream, you know, so that he can fight alongside of them, and you know. I like Wong being like, are you messing with time magic? Well, don't stop now. <laughs> it's like, keep going. I like the the spell kind of getting broken and freezing everything in place. And the the idea of 
like, wait a minute, we're we're just dealing with the minions here. If the dark dimension is already bleeding in, let's just go to the head honcho and deal with him. Uh, it's it's you know it's stressed that the dark dimension is beyond time, and that seems to be the the trigger for Strange. That you know time doesn't exist in the in the dark dimension, death doesn't exist in, in the time in the dark dimension. And Strange goes you know the infamous you know Darmamo have come to bargain setting up the time loop. As you said, the sacrifice. I forget who said it, but it's. You know, we ne- we only see a small moment of the torture that Strange goes through. Uh, I don't know if it was Feige or, or Derrickson who said that Strange suffered thousands and thousands of years of torture while fighting Dormammu in the Dark Dimension, constantly getting killed in each and every way possible. But locking Dormammu in that one moment in time, it's the ultimate, you know... I'm not trapped in here with you. You're trapped in here with me moment. It is a a shortened version of that. But I like the idea. I like the moment where Dormammu taunts him with. Fine, you're just going to suffer infinite deaths then. But everyone else on Earth will live. And it's that moment of like. Okay, fine. That's what this is going to be. And the other moment of pain is an old friend. You can't give me anything my body's already not doing to me. My only complaint is I feel like movie one feels like too soon to introduce Dormammu. Like Dormammu is like the ultimate Doctor Strange villain. And to introduce him in movie one and kind of, for lack of a better term, beat him in movie one. If they had just taken out Casilius and closed the barriers and then, hey, Dormammu's still out there. He still wants this world and we'll be waiting for him kind of deal. Maybe. But, you know, like I never expect him to have Dormammu be the final boss in movie one. Yeah, it. I I get that. I hate to say it, but for most people. For your general viewing audience. Doctor Strange is not one of the big ones. For a Marvel fan, Doctor Strange is one of the big ones. But prior to this movie, grab a random person off the street and be like, hey, what do you know about Doctor Strange? That ain't a thing. Just like it really wasn't for the Guardians of the Galaxy and just like, you know? Mm -hmm. So... I get that by the point that they did Doctor Strange, the MCU was the big swing in Mac Daddy. But there's always a bit of a feeling that we do kind of want to do the the thing in case this might be all we get. (laughs) Possible. Six years between Doctor Strange movies is the longest between sequels for a, a marvel movie so maybe but they it were hasn't sure. really been six years between doctor strange movies let's let's just point that out 2016 it's yeah six, it's been six years between solo doctor strange movies but it's been doctor strange 
It's been Infinity War. It's been Endgame. And now Spider-Man. It's been Spider-Man. It's been that bit in Ragnarok. It's been, you know, Doctor Strange's been around, okay? (laughs) Just because he hasn't had his own solo starring movie doesn't mean Doctor Strange has not been a force in the universe. Mm. You know, he's he's been a busy man. But this has become an iconic ending for a reason. And it's one of the smarter villain endings because every Marvel movie ends with a big green magic battle over a MacGuffin. Except this one doesn't. And this is the one you expect to end with a big green magic battle over a MacGuffin. Because this is the big magic movie. So you kind of expect this one to end in the big magic battle over some MacGuffin or other, right? Mm -hmm. But it doesn't. It ends with a battle of wits, which is awesome. Yeah, Strange outsmarts Dormammu with that time loop. Like, we can do this forever. This This is the way things are now. You and me, one moment in time, forever, unless you agree to leave earth alone. I really wish that they had put in a feeling of what exactly strange probably went through because every one of his deaths is so short. So even if you get the idea of, well, maybe he went through that thousands of times. It's just kind of like, Dormammu, I've come to, uh, Dormammu, I'm here, uh, you know, Dormammu, I, uh, you know, and I get that, like, hey, it's the end of the movie and we're running long and we need to wrap this up, but I kind of wish there was a moment in that sequence where there was, like, just flashes of horrific screaming torturous deaths it kind of makes it seem like Dormammu gave up really quick like Dormammu got to experience 10 minutes of actual linear time and did not like it (laughs) yeah because it does feel like that to the audience a little yeah I, I feel like it undercuts Dormammu honestly yeah, and I and I do feel like Dormammu as a character is is something that would have held out long enough. And I and I get that that's the the filmmaker's intent is that that mind game went on longer, you know, for more loops and iter- iterations than we are privy to. Mm-hmm. Much like I said with Calcilius, I think. Dormammu never reaches his potential in this movie. Yeah. But anyway. and, and that and that little bit at the end when Strange comes back and says, I've made a deal and, you know, you and your little minions are going to go be with the one. You're not going to like it. Because Strange has experienced that reality. 
over and over and over and over and over again. Like, he knows what Dormammu's like. Yeah. Possibly even being absorbed into Dormammu at one point. Possibly. Which would have been interesting. And there's a nice little... I always assume it was like a hint of things to come. Because when you see Cassilius and his, his, his followers go into the dark dimension, they are transformed into the mindless ones. Uh, which are Dormammu's kind of uh, army, his little minions. They change into these all-black creatures, the mindless ones. And they are not liking it as that transformation has happened. Like, we're already realizing the horror of that as they're... Their skin is literally peeling off their bodies as this is happening. It is not a fun experience. Uh, But that that is, you know, already there, and... uh... We get that that moment of like, you know, what did you do? And he's like, well, you know, I just showed him time, infinite time. Okay, let's uh re- reverse enough to, you know, reset the uh, damaged bits and save all these people's lives. And then we'll uh, just, you know, wander off. Again, this breaks uh, Mordo. You know, like, messing with the natural order. You know, in in this moment, he feels like Calcidius was right. The Ancient One was a hypocrite, and you're a hypocrite, too, because you've gone against the natural order of the universe. Yes, it is to save lives, but there's a nat. you know, like I said earlier, uh, Mordo likes the rules and the structure. He's, um... The wording of the rule versus the meaning of the rule, which I think you said earlier. Yeah. And Mordo leaves. He walks away. And we see him in the post credit scene, potentially setting up a sequel. You know, no more sorcerers. By taking away Pangborn's power, leaving him once again uh, a paraplegic. Mordo is like, I have decided there are too many sorcerers. And I'm like, okay, you first. No, but he has to be the one to rid all the sorcerer's powers before he rids his own or whatever. I'm yeah, wondering, I'm it. wondering, <laughs> I'm wondering about one thing that I did not think about before coming back to this movie. Do you think Mordo was blipped? Because there are sure are a lot of sorcerers during that final battle in Endgame. Yeah, we we've never gotten confirmation of that um because we've we've not seen him since we have not seen the new movie yet so we don't know what happens with mordo well no i'm just saying he's not appeared in the mcu since uh the the this moment you know that that in in credits sequence Mm -hmm. uh is the last time he has appeared until the trailer uh for uh multiverse of madness and um so we we do not know uh at this moment as we're recording what Mordo has been up to. Yeah. Um other than probably going around and uh and uh taking out sorcerers. Yeah. But uh yeah, there is of course the the mid credit sequence where, you know, uh the scene from Ragnarok. <laughs> yeah, they they just dropped part of the uh, strange's appearance in Ragnarok 
which was filmed at the same time because they had the uh the sanctorum set up and so taika was like hey you're still filming can i use that (laughs) and so taika wrote some stuff in and was like yeah it'd be fun to have that as a thing and so they they cut out part of the the conversation with Thor and Strange and put it in that mid-credit sequence. But it's interesting to me watching that, what I thought was how different that scene feels with different music and some of the context missing. Because when we saw this, we had no idea what Ragnarok was going to be. This was our first notion of what that movie was going to be. We see Thor. We did not know that this was a scene from Ragnarok. We thought it had been filmed for this. Yeah. And when we saw it again, we were like, wait, isn't it just, isn't this just that bit we've already seen? But now it's comedy. The The thing about this film as a film, though, I think that some of the strange little missteps aside, and and I don't I don't think they're all that odd. You you want to put if you're a big enough Doctor Strange fan, and if you get a chance to write a Doctor Strange movie, and you want to do, you want to put all this stuff in there. Like if you gave me a chance to write a Doctor Strange movie. I want to put Dormammu in there. I want, you know, I want to do all these things. I want to have Mordo in there. I want to have the Ancient One in there. I want to have him go to Camartage. I want to have him, you know? Yeah. Because I'm a Doctor Strange fan. I want to do all these things. You're giving me, this might be my only chance to do a Doctor Strange movie. I want to do all the things. But the problem is in that, in doing, you know, in that kind of, fan idea of wanting to do all the things some of the things get truncated or not given the full weight they deserve i think that that is the unfortunate drawback to to this thing is not that they were not done well but that you wish that they had been given time to breathe but now comes the question we always have to ask and, you know, in this one, it's a little bit more apropos, given well, the character. Well, let, yeah, let's go with it. Kiki, does Doctor Strange have the magic? Yes, because I do think that this is probably the best film we could have asked for. I will agree, yes. As far, if there was only one Doctor Strange movie. And this was the only Doctor Strange solo movie we would have gotten. Then yes, this is definitely the best, the best possible Doctor Strange movie we could have gotten. Again, I have my own complaints and faults up on it, but as a solo movie, as the first Doctor Strange theatrically released movie, yeah, they did a great job, and this is and this tells you everything you need to know about Doctor Strange and how in this one movie he became one of the big players. And you fully believe why he is a big player by the end of this movie. Yeah. 
this and and his other appearances in the other films are really setting up the importance of this multiverse of madness, which is going to be, you know, kind of the big tentpole, I think, of this phase of the MCU. Everything's been building toward it. You know, we had WandaVision setting it up with their hint at her being a nexus being and then we had loki coming in introducing the tva the idea of nexus events building on the idea of branching timelines um the shattering of the multiverse then you had his appearance in the uh spider-man film in which his spell seems to damage the multiverse even more. And now you have the cleanup, I suppose. And I think we're all expecting that whatever happens in Multiverse of Madness will then lead into Quantum Mania. Maybe. And whatever will become of Kang because we're all expecting Kang to show up in that, because it's not really a big secret that Jonathan Majors has been cast to play Kang in in that film as well. So, I guess that's all we can say about that. Well, let's talk about how we're going to continue talking about Strange. I was getting there, I was getting there. So, our next full and proper episode... It's going to be Aladdin, The Return of Jafar. Let's put that out there. We're going to say that right now. Our next full episode is going to be Aladdin, The Return of Jafar, the first direct-to-video Disney sequel. And we are doing it in honor of the late Gilbert Gottfried. However, we are not done talking about Doctor Strange. Because... Guess what, folks? Welcome to Doctor Strange Week. <laughs> yeah, we're we're gonna release a couple of special episodes for you. Um, we're burning the midnight oil this week. Yeah. Uh, so keep an eye out on social media and or your uh, podcatching uh, apps, whatever you may have set up to automatically. Uh, do this because we will have a couple of special episodes for you. You want to tell them what we got planned? We are going to be releasing a special mini-sode based on the What If episode, What If Doctor Strange Lost His Heart Instead of His Hands. Now, we're not sure if this is going to play into Multiverse of Madness, but it is Doctor Strange related, and we really want to get that. We really want to talk about that. Well, in the trailer, we do see something that looks pretty close to Strange Supreme, which is introduced in that what if. So, yeah, we're kind of hedging our bets there. Uh, By the time this episode airs, we're either right or wrong. Yeah. And after that. Very similar to what we did last year with Spider-Man No Way Home, we are going to do a complete spoiler-filled discussion on Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. 
So keep a look out for that. Yeah, make sure to go see the film first and then come back and look for our episode. We're holding nothing back on that one. Uh, we will immediately begin spoiling things as soon as you start listening to it. Uh, we will have seen the movie and we will uh, give you all of our thoughts on uh, on that for that one. So look for that. They will not come out on our normal Monday release schedule. They will come out on special days as soon as we can get them released for you. So check social media or your um, podca- uh, podcatcher if you have us subscribed. Otherwise, if none of that is interesting to you, come back next week as we finally dive into the direct-to-video Disney sequels with the very first one, The Return of Jafar, something that I've kind of wanted to talk about for a while, and now is as good a time as any. So come back for all of that. Enjoy Doctor Strange Week, everyone. And we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it.